sometimes when we look at the way we schedule these breaks, we got to think about how does this affect all of our students? How does it affect everyone? Uh, and I'm not sure we do that because we've just traditionally built the breaks the way we do. And it's cause for me to rethink how do we look at the way schools function in our communities and can we make our schools more of community centers that are hubs of learning rather than institutions that dole out education? Welcome to Education on the Rocks. I'm your host, John Bullock, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, George Hegarty. George, how are you doing today? I am doing so well. It's great to talk to you, John. How are you? I am uh, doing wonderful. I'm excited for this, uh, the Give Me a Break edition of our podcast today because uh, I am uh, getting ready to celebrate the start of my fall break. Nice. I've still got a couple of days to go, but I am ready to talk about a break for sure. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it is hard to believe, right? We were talking just before we started recording about how we've been uh, 18 months or so into this pandemic and uh, time doesn't make sense, right? So here we are at a, at a fall break and, uh, it's, it's hard to imagine how we got here, let alone how much time has passed. Yeah, I definitely, regardless of how time's moving, I know I'm pretty fatigued right now. So I'm glad that there's at least a little respite here at the end of the week for a, for a long weekend. Yeah. I think that I'm tired, uh, in part by that and in part by getting up way too early to watch premier league soccer. So Today was kind of a joyous occasion because uh, Champions League games started at 9.30 rather than uh, one of my 4.30 wake-up calls from the weekend. There you go. So you could roll right into Education on the Rocks straight out of that. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, two Champions League games and, uh, and a pod. So I'm, I'm all set. So, uh, so, hey, this is Education on the Rocks. So what are you drinking today? Hey, you know, I upgraded. Uh, uh, Buffalo Trace went on sale. And so that uh, I am, since it's in the low 60s here, I'm a little bit chilly. Uh, so I'm drinking that neat today. And it, it actually, for uh, as much as I may be a naysayer and kind of a whiskey is whiskey type of guy, that uh, this is actually a spectacular bourbon. That is awesome. You're going Buffalo Trace neat today. That's going to get some of your buddies off your back, I think. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if my Twitter blows up over it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually am drinking um, uh, some Crown Royal with a splash of ginger. Just in, you know, it's on the rocks with a splash of ginger, uh, just to uh, spice it up a bit to get ready for the uh, for the holidays. So uh, you just get two bubbles. That's two. about how much you like. <laughs> Two bubbles, yep, and it's it's perfect. So I, I didn't want to, you know, I, I looked at the shelf today. I'm like, I'll just go crown, and it, you know, I don't have to think about it, right? It's uh, so that's that's where I am today. So I have a question about the crown. What do you do with all the bags? Oh well, you know what's awesome is that I didn't realize this, but when I was a kid in my elementary school, we used to have marble <laughs> season, right? Oh yeah, and totally. they were the crown royal bags were the best marble bags. And kids just ran, I mean, hundreds of kids running around the playground with uh, uh, crown bags filled with marbles, and nobody thought anything of it. So um, I've got a stack of them I'd love to donate to a local elementary school <laughs> for marble season. <laughs> Can I just give you a piece of advice? Maybe don't be the guy who walks onto the playground with those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we'll, we'll pass on that. I don't, you know, the, the other thing I've used my, um, my crown royal bags for uh, holding uh, some of my uh, pro wrestling um, 
figurines that have been opened because they, they uh, you know, they, they cushion them a bit. Uh, so, yeah, because you, you would never want, uh, you know, you would never want the Iron Sheik's uh, deltoids to get rubbed on, on a shelf or something. No, you don't want him, him and Big John Stud, you know, uh, you know, scraping each other's, uh, you know, paint off on, in, you know. <laughs> So that's why I keep them most in boxes. Like I'm looking at my uh, Rowdy Rowdy Piper, uh, you know, in box right now. But there's a few that have been unboxed. So the Crown yeah. Royal bags work for that. There's definitely a marble bag joke in there somewhere that we probably shouldn't go to today. <laughs> yeah. Education on the rocks is just taking a d- dramatic turn just to the rocks part of this thing. So we'll try and get the ship right. But w- we just appreciate you joining and listening in today as you do uh, every couple of weeks when we get an episode out. If you like what we're saying, if you enjoy talking about whiskey, and if you enjoy talking about the 1980s, and if you enjoy talking about education, this is a podcast for you. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. You can find us uh, on all your favorite podcast outlets. Uh, you can also find us uh, on social media. Uh, and you can also you know, write us a review, uh, share it with your friends, help us out. We'd love to get uh, more people uh, in the Education on the Rocks family uh, as it was. So thanks, uh, thanks for joining us today for the Give Me, Bre- Give Me a Break edition. We want to encourage you to take a pause, take a sip, and we'll be right back with more Education on the Rocks. Welcome back to Education on the Rocks, the Give Me a Break edition. So back in the day, George and I spent many nights in our acid wash jeans with our bleach bangs, dancing our rooms by ourselves. And one of the songs we loved was Vacation by the Go-Go's. In fact, vacations were all we ever wanted. We dreamed about having that time to get away. I know you're probably thinking, what does your John Hughes film Teenage Fantasy have to do with education? Well, while you'd be right to think that we often reminisce about our time as students in the 80s on the pod, today we are connecting our tangent to our theme. Between the end of November and the new year, many schools have over three weeks of vacation. So today we're talking about what happens when school's out as we ask the question, what are you doing for your vacation? So George, let's just start. What, what's your most memorable school vacation moment? Uh, you know, when you, you think back of, uh, you know, fall breaks, winter breaks, spring breaks, what, what's the most memorable school vacation moment for you? I mean, when I was young, honestly, it was the fact that my mom had this deep need to parade my brother and I down to Olin Mills for a, a picture, uh, you know, a photo shoot for the Christmas card where uh, we were wearing identical clothes well beyond the age that anyone should be sharing the exact wardrobe with their sibling. <laughs> you know, it's like crazy. Um, but uh, aside from that, like from vacation standpoints, I, I think more than anything, I remember like the week leading up to vacation, especially when I was young in school, just being like these hectic times when, um, especially before winter break, that it couldn't come quickly enough. And like, I remember my teachers probably in hindsight, they were probably just barely trying to keep it together. But the idea of like, oh, uh, you know, I just got to make it through this week. And we were thinking the same thing. And what was cool about it is like, we didn't have any awesome plans it was just to be done for a little bit. How about you? Well, you know, I was thinking about this and I cannot remember any big plans. We, we, didn't, we didn't have, you know, I, I didn't think about vacation as a time to go do things. I actually thought it was a time to get away from things. Yeah. But there were two 
vacation moments that, that kind of stand out about uh, fall, winter break times. One is kind of an eternal memory and the other one is like a specific memory. So the eternal one is that my grandmother, uh, bless her heart, uh, who passed away many years ago, was from uh, Missouri. And at every holiday dinner, she would make candied yams. And so she basically would take a can of yams and put it in a, in a uh, casserole dish, cover it with um, marshmallows, and then put red hots on it and bake it. No way. Oh, my God. It was the greatest thing. I remember uh, when I actually uh, I had the privilege of eulogizing my grandmother when she passed. And I told a story about how she that was my favorite dish she ever made. And, it, and George, it is terrible. I mean, I've, I've tried to make it a couple of times even. as an adult. <laughs> and it is terrible. But it was, it was, you know, something about Missouri and something about my grandma. And so I used to look forward to uh, candied yams. Uh, so that's, that's like this just eternal memory for me. That is so intense. I think I need to try that and just see what happens. I know. I would encourage all our listeners to send us photos of your candied yam bake because yeah. it, is, it is awesome. Before um, your next colonoscopy, bypass the, uh, bypass the secret drink and just go with some Just candy go straight yams. candied yam. Yeah, no, it's perfect. <laughs> Um, and then the other memory I have was, um, obviously, A New Hope was released in 77. I, I say obviously, 1977. For those of you wondering, Star Wars, the very first one, A New Hope, released in 1977. Good. And so that Christmas, uh, that Christmas break uh, was one of the few times we had a huge family gathering, cousins and, and everybody. And all of us kids put on a, a play remake of uh, A New Hope. Like we... <laughs> We were out in the garage scripting and putting together a New Hope remake to uh, to to put on display for our uh, for our family. So th those are my two uh, my two favorite uh, holiday memories. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I, I wish I wish there were uh, you know Betamax tapes of that performance. It it would be awesome if somebody had a videotape of that, and it would also be terrifying. But th there's you know those are good memories. So. School vacations led to uh, some memories for us, but what we want to talk about is how this affects education. And so uh, I've got a couple great questions for you, but the first one is, what do you think about this flurry of breaks between now and the new year? What, what really happens educationally? What's the impact and, and, and how does it work for you now as a student, but also as a teacher? Yeah, I think um, the flurry of breaks was always, especially as a high school teacher, it was always strange because... Um, at some point during my teaching, most of the systems that I was in instituted kind of a full week at Thanksgiving. And then this kind of middle ground period between Thanksgiving and winter break. And then some of the systems I was in, then you'd come back for a couple of weeks and then have finals as if the, there was something sane or logical about that. Um, and so I, I always, I, it never made sense to me as a teacher and, and trying to figure out the school calendar and like why things moved around the way they did was, was really challenging. Now I can speak to it because I'm existing in it right now is I, I really like the idea of the way breaks work at the university because you're, you are, and I might've mentioned this before on the pod when I'm done, um, for this quarter on December 10th, when finals are over and grades are submitted, um, I, there is nothing I can do for three weeks. And so 
and then when you do come back in the beginning of January, you start over. And, and what starting over means as a university student is like you might be in the same course sequence, but you're going to be with a new professor. And so you get these three distinct fresh starts over the course of the year that are marked by these breaks that I think are great. Um, I think what happens as, as a high school student is that you're put in this kind of liminal space where you're like, am I a student? Am I on vacation or am I not on vacation? Because um, depending on the school system and the teacher, that some students might have projects over these breaks in some classes, and then those projects carry over into winter break. And so that kind of idea of like, in some ways, you know, it's, it's a testament to the notion or ostensibly a testament to the notion that the learning never stops. But I, I am a huge proponent that the learning, the kind of school-based learning should stop every once in a while. What about you? Well, I think it's interesting. The university breaks seem to make sense, right? When there's a break, there's a break, and then you start over fresh. What I know about the K-12 system is the breaks don't necessarily always make sense. There's a break... And so some students will have the end of their first term be the week after a Thanksgiving or fall break, and then they'll have three weeks of a new term, and then they'll take two weeks off and come back in that same term. Oh, yeah, term I forgot just, about that. Yeah. Yeah, and so that whole when terms start to end is, uh, I think, puts a strain on that system. So there are literally students across the country right now who are getting ready to go on break or on break right this moment. And when they come back, they'll be in a finals week, right? They'll take a week off or a few yeah. days off and then come back in a finals week at a high school. And then they'll be in their classes for three weeks, take two weeks off, and, and then try and restart the semester. So that's always been troublesome to me. Uh, it's why I prefer going to a, a semester system that ends before winter break so that when people get to that break, they can actually be off of school for a bit. Um, because as you said, right, when you don't, there's that weirdness of, am I still a student? Should I be doing work? Should, should teachers assign homework? Um, so, so let me ask you, right, when you were on break, did you ever really make the poster for that project for the teacher who needed to assign your project over winter break? Did you ever, <laughs> were you ever successfully completing that project? The answer is I always made the project and, uh, or I always made the poster and it was always the Sunday before the break ended, uh, and it started and ended on that day. And so, like, it was, I mean, it was a ridiculous, I mean, one, did I think about it over the entire break and get stressed over it? Totally. Did I put any kind of real effort and did I learn anything as a result of it? No, other than, like, I made a deadline. And so it was, like, teacher-pleasing behaviors is what I learned, but I, I never, I never got anything out of it because it just seemed to me that 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 space, one, it seemed like it was just a way to do a filler. Uh, and for whatever reason that the teacher felt obligated to do it, but it was never a thing that I thought worked. And, and in some ways, like, I think it gets in the way of the type of learning that students should be doing when they're out of school. Um, go ahead. What, what about you? Because I'm, I'm interested to hear your answer on this. <laughs> well, I think that we have seen that universally the Sunday at the end of winter break is one of the most educationally traumatic days in a family's life because all of break has happened and now you get to Sunday, the next day there's school and there's this pell-mell rush and intense pressure to finish 
all of the homework that was assigned over break, right? Whether it's a poster project or a research paper or reading or math packets or whatever was assigned, there's this incredible family pressure to get it done on that Sunday, which, as you said, completely devalues the, the learning, right? If, if it is just for completion purposes, there's no learning there, right? And so I, I recognize that that's the way it is. For me as a student, uh, I remember riding the bus to my uh, elementary school in sixth grade and writing in a, you know, in a notebook, a book report that was supposed to be due uh, after winter break, right? We were assigned a book to read and we we're supposed to write a book report. And I remember writing that book report in the back of the bus in my notebook on the way to school. Uh, and that's the kind of student I was. Uh, and probably, um, I can't remember how I did on that. I well, just I think that's why, that, that's why you embarked on a career to fix education. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So students across the, the country would not have to spend their, their Monday morning after break scrambling to copy math homework in the back of a moving bus. That, totally. That's exactly it. So, so for me as a teacher, I, I never assigned things. I cannot remember assigning things over break. If one of my former students is listening, they're like, nay, nay, sir. Uh, I'd love to hear it, but I cannot remember assigning things over break because I didn't, what I recognized is I didn't want to deal with the fallout in the week before because what happens if students don't do it? Do they... Do they still have to do it? Does it harm their grade? Do, was there learning now that can't happen because that didn't happen? So I never, I never assigned things. What about you? Did you assign things? And, and in all seriousness, do you think teachers should assign things over break? So I never did. Um, and, and my logic was always kind of along the lines of what you said is that I think that breaks are built into our lives so that you do take a break from whatever you're doing. Um, and so I, I think the idea that productivity should be occurring 24, seven, 365 is not healthy. It's not healthy for the individual. It's not healthy for our communities. And, you know, in some ways the school system instills that because it does kind of reward, you know, busyness more than, more than learning. And, you know, I, have had discussions with teachers uh, over the years, uh, both kind of when I was department chair in that role, but then also just kind of collegially around this. And some of them are really, they have these really entrenched notions of that this work has to be done and there's a deep value in it um, that I just, I, you know, I kind of fundamentally disagree. Like I'd rather have a student, you know, I think that if we were to, to run kind of um, an experiment where, we test students' reading levels right before a break. And then those students, you know, we don't, there's no kind of value placed on it in terms of grade or points or anything. But if you have an 11 year old who over the break just goes to the library and reads 2,500, 2,500 pages of Harry Potter because that's what they want to do over the break, you come back and you assess that and their reading level will go up. Like, I, I don't think we've done that. Um, and I did not do the research to see if there's a study along those lines, but like, I know there are benefits. And I think that so often is like, we're so concerned in education with measuring things. And like the poster is the measure, right? The poster becomes points and those points are some indicator of performance when the reality is, is that, that there's no connection between growth and insight and learning and that poster where 
if that same student didn't spend time worrying about not doing the poster and kind of just learned on their own, that I think we could realize um, that, the, that the benefits that we would realize are very real. They're just harder to measure than like, oh, this thing is done. And, and that's what, you know, to be honest, like that's the thing that bugs me about this is like, we don't, we don't put any faith in our students that they are going to do things that are beneficial to them uh, because we kind of have compartmentalized that learning looks this way. And the reality is like a lot of studies have shown that like if students go and video game out for 20 hours a day and they're playing, you know, and they're playing games that require them to use kind of higher level thinking skills in order to solve problems, like there's a huge benefit to that. Um, and we just haven't kind of gamified education in that way to make it, you know, uh, to make it add up into our grade books. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a tough sell to a certain part of our, uh, you know, nationwide constituency of education about how it should look for students, right? And, and I guess where I'm getting with this is that people place different value on different breaks and have different concerns at different times. So what I mean <clears throat> is, for example, we know that there's a potential for learning loss during breaks. We also know there's a potential for learning gains during, during breaks, but we have to think differently about what the gains look like is what you're mm -hmm. saying, right? How do we measure yeah. those? But at the same time, we look at things like a summer break and I don't think there's a lot of uh, intestinal fortitude or desire or will for us to start chopping up summer break so that we don't have the learning loss. Yet everything I read including comments sometimes on articles, is about what are we going to do about summer learning loss? Well, here's a thought. Maybe don't send kids away for eight or ten weeks. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, they're, they're, and, and I'm probably going to get, uh, you know, beat up on Twitter and social media for suggesting that I'm doing a summer break. I'm not. I'm, I'm just saying that we're, you know, the same folks who might assign something over a winter break want nothing to happen over summer break. Right. And I don't know how we circle that square. No. And I think I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think, again, the university model does a better job of it. And, and I'm not quite sure, except that I think that the school day and the school year isn't def as defined by these kind of traditional events that supposedly everybody has to have this kind of uniform experience to say that I went, you know, I went through a public education in the United States is that university students, like many universities, the university in which I am at Davis, and, and I think it's the same for many universities on quarter systems, they have two summer sessions. And students at that point can take a single class often, sometimes two in those sessions. And so they're able to kind of spread their learning out in the intensity of their course schedules during the kind of traditional academic year they're able to spread that out because they're kind of um, because they're thinking about their coursework and their educations in new ways. And, and I don't see why that other than like these kind of preconceived notions of what the K-12 system has to be, why we don't do that universally. Like a student, instead of taking six classes, if you take a summer class, then you only take five the next year, because if we're talking about accumulation of credits, then you can spread the learning out so students can go deeper and have more time to themselves to do that work during the school year, um, rather than everything has to be crammed into these, you know, 
nine months of the year so that you have this kind of sacred July and August that no one touches. Right. And I think what's interesting about that is the way in which we, um, we think about the importance of K-12 education. Part of it is having something for young people to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if we didn't have students taking full loads during the fall or the spring, because they were taking some during the summer, what would schools do with those students? Right. That's a, right. a major concern. And so the reason I bring this up and, and I think it's a it's a difficult conversation to have because it really starts to ask difficult questions of people. And so we think about how does education function in this country based upon how school districts set up their breaks, but moreover, based upon what communities want from those breaks. And I think we've talked about this before in the pod where every few years when uh, Labor Day is whatever the latest day it can be, I don't know if that's September 6th or September 7th. Yeah. Uh, forgive me, those of you that are uh, experts in the Gregorian calendar, I just don't know <laughs> which, whether it's the 6th or the 7th. I think it's the 7th, but anyway. Schools, some schools think about starting before, uh, before Labor Day, and they have communities that just refuse to do that. Now, there are places across the country that start school in August, and it's getting more mm -hmm. like that, but some of those are ending in May. And just this idea of, like, how should our breaks look? And, like, so winter break is two weeks where I am, and fall break is one week. Where I was before, fall break was uh, only three days and winter break was was not two weeks. So why is it three weeks? Why not, why not have smaller breaks there um, that allows for if we need a break, you know, like there are times in the spring where you could use another, another couple days to, you know, to take a, to, to chop things up, take a break. So what do we know about communities and school districts based upon how they structure breaks? Uh, that's a big, big question. I think um, on the one on the one hand, that kind of the idea um, that happens with going back to your point about students in classes is that what we have somehow societally normalized is the I mean, essentially, it's saying that children are deviants, right? That they if we can't contain them, they're necessarily going to do wreak havoc in the community. And I fundamentally disagree with that. But I also think that like there has to be some reteaching of, you know, how people behave in uh, public spaces that because we have contained students for so long, I mean, generations and generations that uh, there would have to be kind of there would have to be some kind of foundation laid in order to really transform the system. But I think what it says about communities is we've talked about a lot of times is like, People want what they had, um, which to a degree makes sense. But I also think that education is one of those spaces that, um, you know, where the experts, the, the experts of people who have kind of spent their life earning degrees in education theory and policy, uh, that their voices actually don't matter that much when put up against the community. And the community isn't necessarily arguing from an educated position around, you know, their idea of what the calendar should look like. It's more based on, I want to be able to do this at this time, or we've always counted on this. And, and I think that 
breaking that, I understand how challenging it is, but I think at least asking the questions is important because for, you know, for a long time, I didn't ever work. Actually, and I'll give you credit for this is that I always thought about it, but I never talked about it until you and I met where we really did start talking about like, okay, these things have been around for a long time, but it's worth critically kind of assessing whether, you know, why that is and whether it should remain the same way. Um, so that's like my very kind of roundabout way of saying that in some cases that we in education, that there are sometimes the right voices aren't privileged in kind of understanding what uh, what's best for uh, students to continue learning. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, right? That who who is driving this? Who are we listening to experts? Are we listening to community sentiment? How, and how do you blend those? I mean, I think that's a question education faces across the board. We're talking about breaks, but in lots of ways, what do we know from experts or researchers, uh, policymakers, practitioners, and then the people that are being served? And how do we blend all those together to make those decisions? It, it's not easy. And I know that one of the things that school districts across the country struggle with every year is building schedules, right? How, how do we build a schedule that works? You would think it would be easy because it's not like the school systems change, but every year there's, there are committees and task forces and community input to come up with school schedules because we're trying to figure out what do people want their breaks to look like? Right. Yeah. It's not necessarily what they want their school day to look like. Although that actually, when there are discussions around that, I think it's really productive, but it is, you're so right. It's about, let's talk about non-school. Right. And it's because there are parts, there are places in the country where there are, there are school districts that take off for ski weeks or take days <laughs> off to allow people to get to the mountain. There are places in the country where people take off hunting weeks because the, you know it's it's time it's it's time to go out hunting. There's a school district in our state um, that takes time off for a major community event, right? A major rodeo that happens. That's a huge, uh, you know, economic engine in the town. So communities do things differently based upon the needs of it, and and that means education can take a backseat to that. And I'm not suggesting that that's not okay. I'm just saying that. That when you apply that lens to it, it gives you some insight into what schools are really charged with doing. Yeah, it does raise the question of how much intentionality there is behind the decisions. And and I mean, I I'm the first to say that if you can, if it is in your community justifiable that this you know few days and in, in the month of whatever. Uh, need to be a break because of, you know, community impact or whatever, then great. I think that's terrific. Um, but I do, you know, when we start to look into, and especially kind of in your intro where you're talking about this next few weeks, um, you know, as we're recording this at the end of November, this next few weeks probably looks there's no uniformity to it, as you were even saying in the state, as to how it looks for families, you know, across the country. And I think that that is it's it's a very strange thing um, about how I think it speaks a lot to like when there's a push or in, from my perspective, anyway, when there's a push for like these week long breaks now as we're approaching Thanksgiving, that that is saying that often what it's saying is that there is an impetus to travel and that's kind of uh, in a lot of ways, there's an assumption about, you know, kind of the privilege to travel also. 
um, that is that is not necessarily universal, where um, that break from school might not be, you know, for Thanksgiving, having a full week off, to me, logically doesn't make a lot of sense um, when you know that the winter break is going to come. And so the idea of kind of keeping some sort of continuity for students um, and for teachers and for and for kind of the school system itself, I think there's value in that. Well, and George, for students that are economically disadvantaged, that rely on schools as a place to ensure they have a warm place to be, to ensure they have food, uh, for those students, these breaks are terrible. And mm -hmm. that's something that um, I don't think we talk about enough. We also know that uh, we see across the country uh, behavior, student behaviors, uh, negative student behaviors increase prior to breaks because students are, are, are going to spend time uh, in a close environment sometimes that isn't always as supportive as they need it to be, right? And so sometimes when we look at the way we schedule these breaks, we got to think about how mm -hmm. does this affect all of our students? How does it affect everyone? Uh, and I'm not sure we do that because we've just traditionally built the breaks the way we do. And it's caused for me to rethink how do we look at the way schools function in our communities and can we make our schools more of community centers that are hubs of learning rather than institutions that dole out education? Yeah, and I think that that's spot on. And both, and I think in terms of meeting students and with their essential needs, like you couldn't be more right. And, and especially in the winter time, that those needs are more acute often because of in different regions of the country, like the, it is not a temperate climate during, you know, the end of November and up through, you know, up through the winter months. And so I think that there's a lot of truth in that. And then as you were saying that about kind of the community hub, that we can reward people for, for playing a part in that. And I, and I mean young people particularly, and that if you do stick around and you participate in a community event or you volunteer um, in some sort of community aspect of what's going on on a high school campus, for instance, or a middle school campus, that we can reward that with credits. And so the idea that your school day isn't ending and you're taking advantage of what the school offers in kind of non-scheduled, you know, eight to three school time, that that is a, that's a really, I think, an ingenious way to think about how to um, kind of start to reinvent what school means and what the school year looks like on kind of a really localized level. Well, on that note, we'd like to know what you think about school breaks. How do they look where you are? What are your favorite memories? What are your thoughts about how we should restructure them? We'd love to hear from you uh, on Twitter. You can find me at Jay Bullock Speaks. George, where can they find you? I'm at George underscore Hegarty. And we would love to hear your thoughts about school breaks, about school vacations. They've become, as we talked about in the opener, uh, a ubiquitous part of the uh, education experience in this country. We talked about John Hughes movies and the way those play into school. We're going to have a little bit of that in After the Ice Melts, just as a spoiler alert for you, or a tease, whatever they call that in, in the podcasting business. But um, we want to know what you think about breaks and how they work or how they don't work uh, for you. So follow us uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can also look us up on Instagram. Uh, you can go to our website, Education on the Rocks, uh, but we'd love to hear from you. We'd love you to share our podcast with your friends and family and people you work with. You can also go on to any of your po favorite podcast sites and leave us a review. So 
We appreciate you joining in today as we have some whiskey and we talk about uh, school breaks. We're going to take a pause and take a sip, and we'll be right back with a segment we'd like to call After the Ice Melts. On August 6, 1991, the first website was created on the World Wide Web. Now in 2021, there are billions of websites online. And did you know that 55% of small businesses don't even have a website? Well, at Mooney Marketing, they can lift your business to the next level by designing your business an affordable, mobile-friendly website with professional business photography, video production, SEO, design concepts, and color schemes. For an example, go check us out at educationontherocks.com. Mooney Marketing did all of that for us, and they can do it for you. As we quickly approach the end of 2021, with the pandemic still hanging around, customers and consumers are searching for products and companies online now more than ever. This Redmond-based marketing firm also offers logo design, advertising, branding, storytelling, and social media marketing services. For more information on Mooney Marketing, check out their website at mooney-marketing.com or give them a call at 541-280-7412 and tell them that the guys at Education on the Rock sent you. And now for a segment we like to call After the Ice Melts. We've drank our whiskey, we've talked about the education issue of the day, and now it's time to talk about what's next. So George, what are you going to do after the ice melts? Well, I'm really excited. Uh, tonight at midnight, I get to pick up my daughter for a long weekend as she's coming home for uh, a little bit of Thanksgiving break. And we're going to have a really, <clears throat> really small, it's just going to be the three of us, um, and kind of a relaxing hangout um, for the next few days. And so I, I really really am looking forward to this Thanksgiving more than I have since I can remember. I think it is, you know, because last year was such a strange year with us being kind of so deep in the pandemic um, that she, that uh, she was home. And so this this is like, to me, this is like, oh, okay, this is what Thanksgiving is supposed to feel like. Um, as a college student, I, I was mentioning to you before the pod, um, I never came home because we had... Um, a water polo tournament that was always starting up uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. And so most Thanksgiving dinners were spent uh, at a uh, local taco taco shop. And, and more often than not, I was eating chips and guacamole as my <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner. Just to get ready for the big, uh, the big match. Yeah. You know, nothing, nothing like a lot of hot sauce and greasy chips and guacamole to get one ready to play water polo for uh, hours on end. That is awesome. <laughs> How about you? What are you doing? Well, I've decided that since part of our theme today was John Hughes movies, I'm going to pick uh, a John Hughes movie to watch after the ice melts. It's going to be from the okay. 80s. Uh, it's going to be one of his, one of my favorites. But I, I guess I want to know from you, when you think of John Hughes movies from the 80s, what, what are the ones that uh, top your list? For sure, for me, and I think it is, it's almost like reading, um, I don't think I've mentioned it on the pod that um, it's like reading Joyce's Portrait of the Artist, where even though that was like different from my upbringing, it was close enough that uh, it was almost awkward. It was like I was reading my own autobiography or my own biography had I, you know, been raised in Ireland rather than the East Bay of San Francisco. Um, but for me, it is like the one that just resonates and keeps resonating. I've watched it not too long ago. It's pretty in pink. Like it just is. I so many aspects of that film reflect what my high school experience was 
and often what I wanted it to be, but what it never achieved that that's like, that's the one for me. How about you? That is phenomenal because I know pretty in pink. It was, uh, came out in 86 was, is, is a lot of people's top of the list. It is one of my least favorite of my favorites, right? I mean, I, I think I've got five or six John Hughes films that I just love. It is at the bottom of my list of ones that, uh, that I do love. So uh, I'm thrilled that, uh, that's why you became the boss and I always stayed as the, uh, you know, as the employee. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. I, I don't know why, but the mid eighties, John Hughes are the ones that, uh, I think the most of obviously the breakfast club, which is, uh, you know, I think is at the top of many people's lists, um, is incredible. Uh, I love that. That wasn't from 85. Um, but my favorite, uh, and then, well, uh, Vacation, right, came out in uh, 83. It's, uh, I love that movie, too. I know, and I can't believe that, you know, looking back, I, I, I didn't know that was him until I was doing research for today's pod. And then that is, I can't believe that that's Hughes. Yeah. And, and, and then he did uh, Christmas Vacation a few years after that. Um, uh, uh, absolutely a wintertime classic. But I think the one I'm going to watch, my favorite one is uh, also from 85, and it's Weird Science. Oh, nice. Right? With, with Anthony Michael Hall and Ian Michael Smith, and they're, you know, they, they find a way to create, uh, you know, what they believe to be is the, the, the perfect uh, woman in Kelly LeBrock. Um, and they're, uh, it, Chet, it is just, the brother, the Chet. So good. Chet is so good. <laughs> right? And so, it's just it, that movie is uh, is the for me. It's it's so much about uh, growing up, and I think some of it has to do with how old you are when these things come out, right? Because so Weird Science came out. I was probably fourteen, fifteen, mm-hmm. um, right? Uh, so it just it hit it hit right there, and and uh, so that's what I'm gonna see. You, you know, what struck me as funny. I, did you know he also uh, John Hughes uh, was behind Mr. Mom. No, not until I read that. I was shocked. Isn't that crazy? I didn't know that either. Mr. Mom has one of the greatest uh, series of lines when he's talking about how he's going to wire the new house. And, he's, and he says, uh, I'm going to go 220, 221, whatever it takes. Yeah. <laughs> like either of us know what that means, but it's pretty funny. I know. I use it all the time when I'm working with contractors. They don't find it as funny as I do. <laughs> I know. So, so I'm, I'm looking gonna, at the circuit panel right behind me on the wall, and I'm thinking maybe I'll mess around with that this afternoon. Yeah, just see what happens. Oh man! So anyway, and then there's of course uh, another classic uh, holiday travel movie, Plane Trains and Automobiles, that came out in '87. So lots to choose from. I'm probably gonna go Weird Science, and I'll probably get mm-hmm. roasted on Twitter for it. But you know what? Uh, you know, I, I am who I am. I grew up who I was. I'm doing the best I can. That's all I can say. <laughs> Sweet. You're doing a great job. <laughs> well, thanks again. This was fun. Uh, good podcast. I hope you have a great uh, holiday with, uh, with your daughter and your family. Uh, those of you listening, thanks for being a part of Education on the Rocks. Again, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter. I'm at Jay Bullock Speaks. George? George underscore Hegarty. And uh, tell us your thoughts. Tell us what you think about school schedules and vacations. Maybe even tell us your favorite John Hughes movies. Or tell me why uh, Weird Science shouldn't be mine. So <laughs> until, until we're back with another pod, uh, take good care of yourselves and uh, enjoy Education on the Rocks. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you for listening to Education on the Rocks. You can connect with us on Twitter. George is at George underscore Hegarty. And I am at Jay Bullock Speaks. 
If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends. And please give us a rating on iTunes and leave a comment. Until then, look for us next week as we continue to discuss education on the rocks.